This is the John Oakley Show podcast. It is a great day for talk radio. We've got all kinds of things we wanted to address, but first off, out of the shoot is a story that's transfixed Torontonians, if not, in fact, uh, people all across this country and beyond. Uh, when it comes to the mystery surrounding the deaths of Barry and Honey Sherman, you might recall it was in December of 2017. It's now been documented rather nicely in a book, The Billionaire Murders, The Mysterious Deaths of Barry and Honey Sherman. Chief investigative reporter with the Toronto Star, Kevin Donovan, has been all over this story, and this is his tome. Kevin, good to have you here on The Oakley Show. Thanks, John. Got to ask first off, I mean, because, you know, we've talked on occasion about uh, certain installments as this case proceeded, but where is it right now? Uh, right now, it's at a point where I'm getting a sense that we're moving towards a, some sort of a conclusion. Uh, two weeks ago, I was in court trying to get uh, access again to, to search warrant material. It was not successful, but did get a chance to ask questions of the lead detective or one of the lead detectives on the case. And he said that we are, quote, cautiously optimistic. Uh, and he was referring to moving to some sort of a resolution. And I got a sense from that in the next uh, couple of months, I don't think we're going to see another year pass. So you believe that the resolution involves uh, identifying the killer or killers? I think that they are, uh, the signs that they're giving me is that they have uh, a tremendous amount of data, electronic data that they have uh, seized over the last six months. They've had the Toronto Police Intelligence Unit do a, a complete assessment of that, provided a report on September 6th, so just over six weeks ago. And they have now, they're moving towards some more judicial authorization requests to to search for other information. And, and the sense I got is that that they're either going to, to lay a charge against uh, people or person uh, in the next uh, few months, uh, or it's going to be relegated to a, to a cold case. I don't think they will publicly admit that it's a cold case, uh, because the police never do. Uh, but I, I'm really getting a sense that, uh, I mean, if they say they're cautiously optimistic uh, in, a, in a court of law, then I think we have to take them at face value. Well, was there a watershed moment then in the case of the almost two years, you know, following its evolution or a breakthrough of sorts? Yeah. In uh, in April of this year, when I the last time I was in court, I had asked uh, the same detective questions, and he said, uh, we are um, uh, at the point now where we have a theory of the case. Now, he doesn't say uh, what the theory is. He won't say if there is a suspect, but in my opinion, you you cannot have a theory of the case and, as he said, a, quote, idea of what happened unless you have a suspect. And I think that uh, led them to try and get some more uh, information uh, through, uh, we call them search warrants, but there really are production orders to what he calls an entity. And, and I'm assuming that this is some sort of a telecommunications company, something uh, that allows them to put together uh, the movements of, of, a, of a person or persons. And, uh, and now they've assessed that, and, uh, and they're moving towards getting more information. And then, uh, like I do expect, sometime in the next few months, there's going to be a charge. So this is Detective Dennis Kim you're talking about? Dennis Kim, that's correct. All right. And uh, you cross-examined him yourself? I did. How were you allowed or availed that opportunity? Uh, great question. Uh, we, at the Toronto Star, we do uh, have lawyers, obviously, uh, but in this case, uh, I, I've been quite vested in it, and the, the area of law uh, is a fairly discreet one, and though I'm not a lawyer, I, uh, you know, I make the application on behalf of the Star to try and, and unseal certain parts of the, of the search warrant material, and then uh, I do, I remember the first time I did it, the, the judge in the case, Justice Leslie Pringle, said, would you like to uh, cross-examine the detective and I, uh, on his affidavit? 
Uh, and I said yes. And and just to explain to your listeners, the uh, the police are trying to keep this sealed uh, uh, for their own reasons. And in Canada, courts are normally open, so we are, as a representative of the media, trying to have it unsealed. We don't want anything unsealed that would jeopardize the case, but we really want to delve into what happened uh, to cause them to, uh, in an early situation, arrive at the murder-suicide conclusion and then what caused them to change. So we're trying to probe that in the public interest. And so the the police officer, Dennis Yim, has provided an affidavit saying why it cannot be released. And so I'm allowed to ask him questions about that. And I have some latitude. Uh, and each time I've had him on the witness stand for about two hours, and, and each one has resulted in, in some information that has been made front page stories in the Star and made it into the Billionaire Murders book. Well, that's the point that uh, this was very revelatory, uh, but the police have been really playing it tight to the vest, even to the point where, uh, I mean, in in many ways, you've been stonewalled on several fronts, including from the family. Uh, what did I read just uh, recently, I guess, today or yesterday? I mean, this is going to be challenged at the Supreme Court level because the family wants to shut down further inquiries. Yeah, now that's a difference. So there's two different things that, that we're doing uh, to try and get uh, court documents. One is the one I was just describing, the relates to the police investigation. But the other is, uh, in, in Ontario and, and in most jurisdictions, uh, the estate of a person, once it passes through probate, is normally public. And you can access a person's will, you can access uh, you know, uh, where, uh, where the funds are going and some other information. And I had applied to get that and and one at uh, at a fair, at the highest court in Ontario, the Ontario Court of Appeal, and we just learned yesterday that the Supreme Court of Canada is going to hear this case, and it's a it'll have some ramifications because the Shermans are saying that that certain uh, parts of court documents should should not be made public, and so we, uh, as a representative of the media, will be arguing that they should be. That hearing will happen in the next few months, and and uh, it is going to be. Uh, we did not expect uh, them to be successful uh, at the Supreme Court in, in getting a hearing, but they've gotten one. So now we're going to uh, hopefully fight the good fight for the uh, the public's right to know. Again, with Kevin Donovan, the billionaire murders, the mysterious deaths of Barry and Honey Sherman. It's a fascinating story, and uh, the idea that. The police uh, initially, and now this was never emphatically uh, stated or uh, overtly that this was a murder-suicide on their part, but that was the working theory, I guess, that it sort of filtered through to the media initially. Is that correct? That's correct. And I wasn't involved in this case until uh, several weeks after the the, uh, the deaths. But uh, as I understand it, and as I write in, in the book, uh, the uh, the media, of course, was on to this on, on the first day and reporting on it. And and some members of the media were about to write a story saying the police believed it was a, a double murder when they sources said, no, we believe this is a murder-suicide and, uh, and then for the first six weeks, and I know this from court documents I did get unsealed, that the police were seeking only the murderer of Honey Sherman, not the murder of Barry Sherman and Honey Sherman. And what I take from that is that they thought that Barry had killed Honey and then taken his own life, which turns out to be completely untrue and, and caused a lot of upset amongst the family and friends of the Shermans. When you say that so unequivocally turned out to be untrue, and that's based on what? Well, uh, six weeks after... The, uh, the, the deaths took place. The Toronto police uh, announced at a press conference following a story I did that they had uh, completed their review of the case and determined it was, in their words, a targeted double murder. That's interesting to me that it took outside uh, forces effectively to get the police to change their minds on something. 
Yeah, and, and I mean, my I was only the conduit for some information that uh, the, the Sherman family had hired uh, Dr. David Chason, who was a esteemed uh, uh, forensic pathologist, uh, formerly Ontario's chief forensic pathologist. They invite, uh, invited him to come and do an autopsy, and he did the day before the funeral. And he looked at the case and came up with his ruling. But the Toronto police did not participate in that. He, they were invited to come into the autopsy suite. They did not. And nothing happened. And then you know, I uh, was fortunate enough to be assigned by the Toronto Star to this and through my sources was able to find out what his determination was, wrote a story, and I'll tell you what happened. that uh, The Toronto police called up Dr. David Chason and said, oh, we should talk to you, and they did. And then they came out with this uh, public uh, uh, press conference saying that uh, this is a double murder. I found it also uh, fascinating that you uh, write that in the case uh, with Honey Sherman, she actually had physical injuries to her face, whereas Barry did not. And what did that tell you? Well, uh, I think it gives some explanation for why the police may have initially thought that it was a murder-suicide, because they they came upon a scene, uh, you'll recall, discovered by a a realtor, and they came upon a scene where uh, both uh, Honey and Barry are seated uh, with a belt around their neck uh, in their pool room, and Honey has injuries to her face. Barry is actually in... uh, they described to me as in repose with his legs out in front of him, glasses perched neatly on his nose. And I think that's where the police made the mistake. They thought he had killed her and then killed himself. Right. Uh, but again, the idea, the evidence that uh, she had, uh, did it lead you to surmise, because that is one of the inferences in the book, that uh, this was personal rather than a professional hit? Yes, and I, and here I we, I go to you know, people who are not sources of the case, uh, sources related to the case, but people who understand uh, what typically happens in in criminal situations and and strangulation, which is how uh, the the Shermans died, is thought to be a personal attack, uh, whereas a, a hitman, let's say an international hitman, as many have imagined, was involved, uh, would do that uh, by shooting a person. And, and quite frankly, they probably would have just killed uh, uh, Barry Sherman and uh, not his wife. Are we talking about the civilian analysts that you're talking uh, in, about in the book, arriving at certain conclusions? No, no, I'm just saying that people that I've talked to who are experts in, in, in crime, who, you know, uh, and there's many of them out there, say that that's, that's typically what happens. Uh, if it's strangulation, it's personal, whereas if it's somebody, you know, shooting with a gun from a distance, it's not personal. Right. Delving into the psychology behind the murders. Let's come back and talk some more. This is fascinating. Kevin Donovan, author of The Billionaire Murders, The Mysterious Deaths of Barry and Honey Sherman. We'll continue on The Oakley Show. Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. Thanks for listening to The John Oakley Show podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe for free at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere else you get your on-demand audio.